we're starting a new sermon series today, and I have to warn you guys that I haven't preached a proper sermon in three weeks. So I feel like a fire hydrant today. Um, I always wish I was like a foot taller because then I could really physically show you how I'm feeling inside, but I'm not. So I just have to wave my arms around a lot. But so we're starting a series on the Gospel of Mark. And as, I, as I've started to dig into this and study the Gospel of Mark, this book is so action-packed. It is so full of action. And it's actually perfect for this season because Mark's Gospel doesn't start with the birth of Christ. It starts with Christ's ministry. So two weeks ago, we celebrated the birth of Jesus. We celebrated Christmas. And now we're jumping into the book of Mark. So if you imagine watching a movie, we have this incredible scene where Jesus is born and then the screen goes black and the text comes up 30 years later and then it goes into the next scene. That's what we're doing with the book of Mark. Now, if you've ever been here before in a series on a book of the Bible that we've done, you know that we like to talk about how we read the Bible. The Bible is an incredible book because no matter how many times you read it, you'll always find something new. God will always speak something new to you, and that's because the Word of God is alive. The Word is alive. It's an ancient text, but it speaks to us today. So when we read it, we always want to look at why the author wrote what they did, who were they writing it to, and what does God have to say to us today. So as we jump into into Mark chapter 1, a lot of times I like to preach on like one little chunk of of text and expand it. But today we're going to be flying through Mark chapter 1. And I really believe this morning that God wants to speak to you. I I believe that some of you walked into this place today saying, God, I really need something from you. I need you to speak to me. I need you to give me an answer about this thing. I believe that God wants to do that for you today. And this morning I prayed for you as I was walking my dog early this morning in the freezing cold of Maison Lafitte. I prayed for you, and what I prayed was that God would give you what you need today. Whatever you're asking God for, whatever word you need, whatever touch you need from God, I'm believing that God is going to give you what you need from him today. So I want to start today by just praying really quickly before we jump in. Um, We have for you a reading guide uh, on the book of Mark, so you'll be able to take a reading guide so that we can all follow along through the book of Mark, because I'm not going to cover everything in the sermon. So we want to read that together. But as you take the reading guide and as you start reading on your own, what I like to do when I read the Bible is take a minute to pray before I read it. Because it says in the Bible that the Holy Spirit gives us revelation from God through the Word of God. So I like to take a minute and just pray that God will help me understand what I'm reading and that God will speak to me through it. So I want to do the same thing before we dive into this so that God will speak to us through his word today. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is alive and it is powerful and it is relevant to our lives. God, we thank you that no matter where we find ourselves today, that you're ready to speak to us. God, I pray that you would open our ears to listen to what you have to say to us. Lord, and as we dive in to the word you gave us through Mark, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what has been written You would help us to understand how it applies to our lives, and that you would help us understand more about your character as we read Mark's words this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to jump right into Mark chapter 1, and I want to talk this morning about three places that Mark writes about 
in chapter one. Uh, like I mentioned a second ago, Mark is an action-packed gospel. Mark liked to talk about action. He liked to talk about emotions. Um, and so he, he kind of jumps around in the story quite a bit. But there's three significant places in Mark chapter one that I want to talk about this morning. And the first place that Mark mentions in chapter one is the wilderness. Mark mentions three or four times in the first 13 verses, he mentions the wilderness. And if you've ever read the Bible before, you know if someone mentions the same word over and over, you should probably pay attention because it might be meaningful. So Mark immediately starts talking about the wilderness, and he talks about the wilderness as a season of preparation in our lives. In verses 4 through 8 of chapter 1, he jumps right off the bat talking about John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. This is nasty. You know what I'm saying? He was like, there's like camping wilderness, and then there's like John the Baptist eating bugs and honey. Uh, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, in the Old Testament, the wilderness was a place of suffering. The wilderness was a place of punishment. When people were sent into the wilderness or when they, were, uh, when they were wandering through the wilderness, that was a time of suffering for them. A lot of times it was, it was due to something they had done. They had rejected God. They, they had sinned. And the consequence of their sin was the wilderness. But even in the Old Testament, God redeemed the wilderness and turned it from a season of punishment into a season of preparation. John the Baptist was not in the wilderness because he was sinful. He was in the wilderness because God needed to prepare him for the purpose he had for his life. Daryl Bach, uh, who's the author of one of the commentaries I'm using, defines the wilderness as a gathering place for events that precede the delivery of a promise. A gathering place for events that precede the delivery of a promise. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm a, in a wilderness place, I kind of feel like the promise has been lost. I kind of feel like the promise God gave me or, or what I thought God was going to come through and do for me, it's, it's not in the picture anymore, and I'm just lost and wandering around in the wilderness. John the Baptist had spent a lot of time in the wilderness. He was wearing camel's hair. He was, his hair was probably like totally crazy. He, he was a man of the wilderness. He, he had the smell of the wilderness on him. And he had spent so long in the wilderness that as soon as he saw Jesus, he knew who Jesus was. He knew who Jesus was as soon as he saw him because he had spent time in the wilderness. See, the wilderness tunes us in to what God is doing in our lives. And those seasons of our lives that feel untamed, those seasons where we have no idea what's in front of us, we don't know what God is doing, those are the seasons that God is preparing to release his promise into our lives. The wilderness is the place where God is too quiet and we're suffering and we don't know what we did wrong. I've had a couple seasons in my life where I was praying for direction 
And I can remember so vividly um, both, of, both seasons in my life that I just felt like God had totally abandoned me. He was so quiet. And I was, it, it was kind of at a point in my life where I was at a crossroads, and I was like, should I do this thing or should I do this thing? And God was just totally quiet. And I was like, God, what are you doing? I'm, I'm a good person. You should talk to me, you know? What have I done that you're being so distant from me right now? And I remember when I walked out of the wilderness and I knew God better than I had known him before. Somehow that season of silence and that season of wilderness helped to tune me into the character of God even though I didn't see it happening. The wilderness is where God starts his work in us, but the wilderness is not rejection. It doesn't mean God has rejected you. In verses 9 through 13, it tells us that, uh, that right after this, at the same time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. So Jesus was sent into the wilderness, but it wasn't because he was rejected. God had just, God the Father had just said to him, you are my son, and I love you so much, and I am well pleased with you. And then he led him into the wilderness. I'd be like, yeah, thanks a lot. I can really see how much you love me and how well pleased you are with me leading, into the, leading me into the wilderness now. But at the moment that Jesus was baptized, he was, he was put down under the water and brought back up to represent death to the old self and new life. And at the moment that that happened, it says the Spirit of God descended on him. The heavens opened, and the Spirit of God descended on him. And what that symbolized to us was that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the presence of God became close to us. The presence of God became close to us, and we had access to it through the person of Jesus Christ. But in that moment, the same Spirit that descended on him, the same Spirit that we have access to, led him into the wilderness. And it says that he, uh, how does it say it? He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. What I want you to understand about the context in which this gospel was written is that this gospel was written and distributed to Christians who were undergoing extreme persecution at the time. I'm not talking about, like, people won't say Merry Christmas to you. I'm talking about, like, your family is being killed, you're being burned at the stake. You're being thrown into arenas with lions and that kind of stuff. I mean, Christians were losing their lives. And some people were coming to a point where they were like, is this really worth it? Is the cause of Jesus really worth my life or my family's life or the destruction of my financial future? Is it really worth it? And you have to imagine them losing their friends, losing their family members to the arena, and then reading this text of Mark and finding that Jesus, too, was sent into the wilderness with these wild animals, but he wasn't left alone. The Father sent angels to attend to Christ in the same way he was with those Christians undergoing extreme persecution. And in the same way, he's with you when you're in the wilderness. Jesus not only brings hope into our suffering, but Jesus also experienced the wilderness. Jesus experienced what it's like to feel far from the presence of God. But when Jesus came out of the wilderness, 
he was ready. When Jesus came out of the wilderness, Mark records that that's when he started going out and healing people and preaching the kingdom of God and casting demons out of people, but he had to go through the wilderness first. See, the wilderness is not a place that you go to die. The wilderness is a place you go to learn to listen. You can't step into the purposes God has for your life until you've gone through the wilderness. You look at anybody's story in the Bible that God used greatly, they all went through a wilderness period because we have to go through a season of preparation before we can step into what God has for our lives. And this wilderness season prepared Jesus for what happened next in Galilee. So in verses 14 and 15, we encounter this moment where Jesus goes into Galilee, and Galilee represented a moment of decision. When Jesus came into his ministry in Galilee, he began to confront people with this moment of decision. So in verses 14 and 15, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. This, this passage made me stop for a second because we don't think of repentance as good news, do we? We think of repentance as fear and anger and, you know, the street preacher with a sign that's, like, clearly unwell. Um, and, and they always yell at us about repentance. But it clearly says that Jesus preached repentance as good news. Amen. Repentance is good news. The word repentance, if you're not familiar with it, means you're walking along this way in your sin, and then you stop, and you turn around, and you walk the other direction. You stop in your sin, you ask for forgiveness, and you make a change in your life and you turn around. So Jesus is going around to people and he's saying, the time has come. The time has come for you to make a change in your life, to make a decision to turn from your sin and to start engage, engaging in the life that I have for you. See, the good news is that your sin is not the end of the story. Amen. No matter how you walked in here today, no matter what you've done, your sin is not the end of the story. Because Christ wants freedom for you. Sin is the worst feeling. It's the worst feeling. You engage in it, and then you're like, why did I do that again? Why do I keep doing that? Because I feel so terrible after, and it just eats away at you. And I don't know about you guys, but when God is calling me to repentance, I wrestle with it. I fight against it. I, I don't know why I still do this, but every time there's something in my life that God is trying to pull out of me, I fight it. And I'm like, no, no, we're, you know, maybe I can get around it this way, or maybe I can justify it this way. And I wrestle and I wrestle. And when I finally give up and surrender and repent, it feels so good. It feels so good. It feels like coming back to life. And I'm always like, man, I'm just so dumb sometimes because I keep making the same mistake. I keep wrestling with the Father instead of letting him bring me home. Repentance is good news because there's freedom for you and there's forgiveness for you. So if you ask the disciples what happened in Galilee, Peter and, and James and John, if you ask them about Galilee, they would tell you that Galilee was the day everything changed. Galilee was the day everything changed for them because they were out fishing in their boats. They were going about their day fishing because they were fishermen. And Jesus came to them in verses 17, 18. Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. At once, they left their nets and followed him. They had a moment of decision. 
where they had a choice in front of them and they had to decide, are we gonna follow this guy or are we gonna keep pulling the nets up and catching the fish? And they decided to step into the adventure that God had for their life. See, the crazy thing about this is up until this point, God revealed himself to people. If you look at the Old Testament, God would reveal himself to people, and those people would then be prophets. They would bring messages to the people. But in this moment, Jesus said, follow me, and you're going you're gonna to bring people to me. You're going to be fishers of men. You're going to put your nets out and bring people into the freedom that is Christ. So this was revolutionary because Jesus is basically saying, look, God's going to use you. God's going to partner with you to bring people a message of hope and healing. But they had to decide if they were, if they were ready for it. Now, God is so good to us because in my life, I have found that when God presents me with a moment of decision, sometimes I don't make the right choice, guys. Sometimes I don't make the right choice. And in those times that I'm wrestling with God, he never gives up on me. He just keeps bringing the same thing in front of me over and over again. So if you're here and there's, and if, if you're in this place right now, you know who you are because you're like, lady, please move on and stop talking about this so I don't have to think about it anymore. But when God asks you to lay something down or God asks you to step into something new or break something off, if you say no, God will let you say no. He'll let you make that choice. God's like, you're not going to sleep again for the next month because I'm going to be bugging you about it all the time. But he'll let you say no. He'll let you walk away. But he won't give up on you. He'll keep that thing in front of you and it'll keep hitting you in the face over and over and over. And you can either choose to live your life spinning your wheels in the same place, or you can choose to step into the new reality that God has for you and say yes and make the decision that he's asking you to make. God is faithful in that way. He doesn't skip steps with us. We have to take one step at a time. And every time we say yes to Jesus, it opens a door to a totally new reality. It opens the door to something totally new that we never thought he was going to do in our lives. It's like in Narnia, you know, they're like, oh, let's hide in the closet. And boom, there's a whole world back there that they never would have known if they hadn't opened that door. I want to let you know, I know it's scary. I know it's scary to make these decisions or when God is calling you to lay something down, God is calling you to give something up. It's terrifying. It can be terrifying, but I want to let you know, you will never regret saying yes to Jesus. Amen. Never. He will never disappoint you. I have never one time regretted saying yes to Jesus. There have been times that I wonder what my life could have looked like in other worlds, but I, he's never disappointed me. Amen. And I want to encourage you that if God is calling you to turn from sin in your life, Amen. he's always a soft place to land. When we turn from our sin, there's this lie the enemy plants in our head that if we, if we come back to God, he's going to be mad at us. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have to have a lot of talks, you know, like when someone you're dating is you get in a fight and you have to have a lot of long talks and sort through your feelings and all this. But when we come back to God, he's never angry at us. He, he holds us and he's so glad that we're home. He responds with compassion and with kindness. He's always a soft place to land. And maybe you're here and, there, and there's something churning inside of you because you know that God is calling you to make a decision in a certain area of your life and you haven't been ready to do it. And maybe God is telling you that today is the day he wants you to step into new levels of freedom and new levels of purpose for your life. But after Galilee happens, we see Jesus step into what Mark calls the lonely places. 
And this is an invitation to purpose. This is the point where Jesus starts to live into the purpose of what God called him to the earth to do. And one of the coolest things about the Christian life is that we don't have to be caught in a cycle of sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, and then you die. And depending on where in the cycle you were, you'll like go to heaven or hell. Um, there's, there's more to the Christian life for that because what happens is when you make that decision, you begin to walk into purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. And it's not just to keep sinning and repenting, sinning and repenting. God wants you to make a decision and move forward from that into the places he's prepared for you. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. So Jesus, um, the word starts to get out about Jesus, and he starts to heal people. He starts to cast demons out of people. This crazy stuff is happening. So people get healed. They go there to tell their friends. Then their friends come. I mean, if I had been around, I for sure would have done it because it's a lot cheaper than going to the doctor, you know? <laughs> And, and there's this moment where he's, uh, he's called to Peter's home, and Peter's mother-in-law is very sick with a fever. And he goes and he gets her up from her fever, and she's healed. And he had good motivation to do it, because right after he healed her, she cooked dinner for everybody. Um, but, but word started to get out, and it says after he healed Peter's mother-in-law, the whole town showed up and was waiting for Jesus to heal them. There was like a whole mob of people wanting to be healed, wanting their kids to be healed, wanting demons to be cast out of them. And Jesus is like, he's telling his disciples, he's like, look, I came to preach. I came to tell the message of the kingdom. I, I should be in the synagogues uh, exposing the message of the kingdom, the good news of repentance. I should be sharing this, but instead I'm spending all my time healing people. And it says that he, in verse 35, it says, the morning after he healed Peter's mother-in-law, I mean, it might not have been exactly the next morning, but it says, very early in the morning when it was still dark, he went out to a solitary place to pray. He got up in the morning before anybody else, and he was like, man, I've got to get out and spend some time with the Father. Because that's what prayer is. Prayer is realigning my heart with the heart of the Father. And Jesus went to a solitary place, a place that had the same character as the wilderness he had experienced, because that's where he learned the voice of God was in the wilderness. So he brought himself back to a solitary place, and he spent some time praying. I'm excited about this 21 days of prayer, because I want us as a church to align our hearts with the heart of the Father. I want to know what God wants for our church. I, I keep telling God, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. Whatever you tell us to do, we'll do it but you got to tell us what to do. you got to lead us. I don't care if we're the biggest church in Paris. I don't care if everybody outside of Paris knows who we are. I don't care about that. I want us to be aligned with the heart of God for this community and this city, but it's going to take us praying together to figure out what that is. Amen. We have to align our hearts with the heart of God, and that's what Jesus went out and did. Sometimes when we're stepping into purpose, we need to look back on what God taught us in this season of the wilderness. Isaiah 55, 11, the word of the Lord is, My word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty. Amen. My word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When we realign our heart with God, we remember the word that he spoke to us and we have a renewed trust that he will fulfill the promises that he made to us. So toward the end of the, 
of the chapter there, there's, there's a story of healing, it, starting in uh, verse 40. It says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. See, the deal with leprosy was um, that the Old Testament law determined that if you were sick, you were unclean and you were to be quarantined until you were all better. So if you have leprosy, you have to go hang out in like a tent by yourself or something. And, uh, and when you're all better, you go to the priest and the priest inspects you and, and does some sacrifice stuff and declares you clean and you can be, you can like rejoin society. And there's all these rules about clean and unclean. If you like accidentally touch a dead body, you're unclean for like a week and you have to, this whole thing. So when the leper came to Jesus, he would have been a social outcast. He would have been considered unclean and not allowed to worship in the temple. He would have been unallowed to go into the home of people who were clean. He was completely devoid of human relationships. And he came to Jesus and he said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The leper didn't ask Jesus to do the work of a priest. He didn't say, declare me clean. He said, make me clean. He inherently knew that Jesus had the power to actually fix the problem and not just put a Band-Aid on it. So it goes on in verse 41, and it says, Jesus was indignant. I read that, and I was like, indignant? What does that even mean? And I looked it up in my, I, you know, looked it up in my commentaries and did some research because it didn't seem like the character of Jesus to be annoyed with this man. And the reality is that Jesus was not annoyed with the leper. He wasn't angry at the leper. God is never bothered by you in your moment of need, okay? It's not, it's not a thing where the leper went to him and he's like, heal me. And Jesus is like, oh, I was about to go on my lunch break, man, you know? <laughs> Jesus, was, Jesus was indignant because here was a man in front of him whose body was riddled with disease, and because his body was riddled with disease, he faced complete injustice, complete rejection, complete loneliness. It says in the book of Isaiah that by the stripes that were put on Jesus' back when he was crucified, our bodies can be healed. And here, right in front of Jesus, was a man where disease had made him a shell of a person. He had no relationships. He had no purpose in his life. And, and Jesus, my dad would say, it hacked Jesus off. Because people from Indiana say things like hacked off. But Jesus looked at this man, and he was like, man, I came here so people wouldn't have to deal with this kind of stuff anymore. I came here so people could be included, so they could be made whole, so their brokenness could be healed. That's what I came here for. And here's this man in front of me who's, who's experiencing all of the injustice that I came to fix. And it says he reached out his hand, and he touched the man. Jesus didn't have to touch the guy. There's other places in Scripture where Jesus healed somebody with a word, there's this moment where this, this guy comes up to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, I need you to come heal my daughter. And Jesus is like, okay, well, you know, once these crowds, and the guy goes, no, 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 you can say it here and she'll be healed over there. And it happened. Jesus said the word and the girl was healed, you know, far away from him. So Jesus could have healed the man with a word, but instead Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. The man would not have been touched by anybody in a really long time, completely devoid of human contact. And also, he probably looked really gross. <laughs> but Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched, he touched him. Jesus doesn't sanitize himself from our issues. He doesn't take a step back and go like, oh, 
let me just speak a word over you and, you know, go, go to a priest and get that checked out because that is so nasty. Jesus doesn't do that. He actually comes into the most vile parts of us and he touches us and makes us clean. He touches us and he makes us clean. Jesus asked the leper not to tell anybody. In verse 43, he, he, uh, it says, Jesus sent him away at once after he was healed with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, the leper went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. We would all do the same thing, okay? Put up a little like before and after picture on Facebook. <laughs> he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. This, this passage has been burning in my heart so strongly because the truth of the matter is it was the leper who was out in the lonely places. The leper was the one who faced rejection and shame and was a shell of a person with no hope and no love in his life. And Jesus traded places with him. Because he healed the leper, and the leper went and told everybody about it, which Jesus knew was going to happen, I'm sure. But because he healed the leper, Jesus himself became a social outcast. He couldn't go to the synagogues anymore because the crowds were too bad. And he was, he was starting to get in trouble with some of the religious leaders. And so rather than him sanitizing himself from this moment, he looked at the leper, and he had so much compassion that it lit his heart on fire. He was indignant. And he said to the man, you know what? You come in from the cold, and I'll trade places with you, and I'll go out to the lonely places. And I have this image in my head of this man sitting around a table with friends and neighbors he hadn't seen in years, sitting around a hot meal together, and people are passing plates, and kids are running around and playing, and he's back at the table. He's part of a community again. And in that same moment, Jesus was leaving town because he couldn't stay in town anymore because of what he had done for the leper. The truth is, that's what Jesus does for us. He takes that in us, which is the most broken and the most in need of healing, and he says, I'll take that for you. You come in from the lonely places, and I'll go there for you. Amen. That was the purpose of what Jesus came to do. He came to trade places and to take that which we deserved that he came to take that which, which our sin and our brokenness had bought us, and he said, instead, I'm going to heal you and send you back into community, and I'm going to take on the shame and the sin. I'm going to take on the consequence of your sickness. This is the way of Christ. And what happened in that moment was Jesus was no longer able to minister in the temples. He had to minister in the streets. The word of God, the presence of God began to leave the central focus of the temple, and it began to go into the streets, and this is what we still see today. We come together and we worship, and then we leave and we become carriers of the presence of God. We become people who can bring hope and healing into the community around us, and it all started in this moment where Jesus said, I'm willing to go into the lonely places to bring the word of God to the outcasts and to the rejected. See, the lonely places can feel really difficult. They can feel really quiet, but the fact of the matter is that we're ready we're ready to step into the purpose God has for us because we've gone through the wilderness. We've gone through that season of preparation. We've said yes. We've made a decision 
that we're going to follow. We're going to do what he asks us to do. And then he uses us to bring hope and healing to people. He uses us to change people's future. He uses us to change people's story because we're willing to be used by him. This morning, most of us find ourselves in one of these three places. Maybe you're here today and you find yourself in a wilderness place and you're like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why God won't speak to me. I don't know why God feels distant, but I think I'm in a wilderness place and I don't know if he's preparing me for something, but it doesn't feel like anything's happening. Or maybe you're in a place today, you're in a Galilee place where there's a, where there's a decision that you have to make. There's a decision God has put in front of you. And maybe it's, maybe it's the same thing over and over and he keeps like hitting you in the face with the same thing he's asking of you and you've been avoiding it. I want to encourage you that if you're in a place that's a moment of decision, you're in a great place because God is getting ready to do something awesome with your life. Don't be afraid to step forward into what he's asking of you. Or maybe you find yourself today in those, in those lonely places where you're starting to discover what your purpose is, but you're not quite sure and you need to realign your heart with the heart of the Father today. Would you stand with me?